HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN and podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd. I'm your host today, Jessica Kesselman, and I find it really hard to believe this, but we've never really talked about cider and cider and cheese on Cutting the Curd, and I can't think of a better guest to help us delve into the world of cider and pairings with cheese than Rachel Fryer. She is a certified cheese professional, but she's also a certified cider professional. So she's a cheese and cider professional. And aside from that, her current role is at South Hill Cider in Ithaca, New York. She's the food program and events coordinator. That whole area is hopping. And it is a great place, not only for great New York State agriculture, but also the cider that is made there. And I am so happy you're here, Rachel. Welcome to Cutting the Curd. Hey, hi. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I should also say, you're also a freelance cheesemonger at large, too, right? I mean, you're, you're kind of, you're still in cheese. Oh, yeah. I never left cheese. I am <laughs> uh, first and foremost a cheesemonger. Um, who happened to um, fall in love with cider and was adopted by the cider industry. <laughs> That's a great way um, to put it. I was literally adopted by the cider industry um, because of my um, love for cider and cheese. And But have always, over all the years, even um, working, you know, producing cider weeks and working on cider events, I've always... Um, you know, cross-promoted cider with cheese because that's who I am and that's, you know, what I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I think we'll probably go into it more over the course of this conversation, but like cider and cheese, I mean, they're great pairings for a lot of reasons, but also geographically, they seem to overlap a lot. Oh, absolutely. Um, cider and cheese are best friends. I mean, just think about, you know, the apple 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 and cheese um and yeah they definitely overlap um you know 
cider regions from the world or also cheese heavy regions from the world, you know, which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot about how that plays in. Um, but yeah, cheese and, you know, agritourism to areas that people are discovering um, cider regions in, in, you know, across the United States um, happen to be also, you know, frolicking and looking for the local cheesemakers. And, um, you know, they're both, um, you know, hands in hands, I would say, in each region. And so let's back up for a second, because I, I'd love to talk a little bit about what cider is, because I feel like it's, it's gotten, it's, it's become a much larger part of the market. But um, for a while there, it was like, we would say hard cider. Do we still say hard cider? Or when we say cider, do we know what we're talking about? Is it, is oh, it huh. like, <laughs> you know, like, what? those are the questions, Jessica, those are the questions. <laughs> what is cider? What is cider? That is an excellent question. Um, so <laughs> I can ask that every day. Um, cider, um, cider is, um, uh, so, okay, this is complicated. So I'm going to describe what cider is. And what I mean is the alcoholic version of cider. Um, okay. it is fermented apple juice into a, an alcoholic beverage. Um, it is kind of like wine where wine, you take the grapes, you crush them, you take the juice, you ferment them into different styles of wine. Um, so cider is basically the same. It's not like beer where you're basically kind of brewing something, you know, like making tea or, you know, putting together a recipe. Um, it's more like wine where basically you have the apples, you harvest the apples, the fruit, um, you press them, take the juice, ferment the juice, and then create, you know, whatever cider style you're going to um, make by pure fermentation. And uh, are, there are also pear styles, right? Using pears. Or... Yes. So a peri is, um, a cider is made from apples and then there are certain families within the cider styles that can have like adjuncts, different, different berries, different herbs, different things added to it, um, as flavorings, um, or a co-ferment. Uh, peri is made, uh, primarily from pears. So it could be, um, uh, there could sometimes be a little bit of apple in there, but you know, traditionally, it's supposed to be 100% pears that were fermented into um, a pear-style cider. And I'll, a lot of times when I am teaching pairing classes, usually usually it's wine and cheese, sometimes it's beer and cheese, but we talk about, you know, that there's all these, these ancient foods, right? Like cheese is an ancient food, wine is an ancient food, bread. Like, so is cider ancient in that respect? Like how... How far back does cider making go? Oh, way back. <laughs> um, cider is definitely one of those ancient foods. Um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, if you dive deep into the history of cider, which if anyone really wants to do that, there's an amazing book called American Cider by Dan Pucci. Um, but he really, really, really dives deep into the history. Um, I've done, you know, I, I have a little, little bit of, you know, little bit of the history, but basically, you know, it goes all the way back to like where the apple, you know, apple comes from, where basically in Kazakhstan, you know, like ADs, you know, we're talking about way, way, way back, back, you know, when fruit grows, people have to do things with it. And naturally, just like grapes, you know, fermentation happens and alcoholic beverages happens. Um, you know, when you think about cider, 
you want to think about cider just like you would think about wine. You know, as, as you know, in, in history, there were grapes, so there was always wine, and there were apples, so there was always some style of cider. Um, in regions like northern Spain, um, in Asturias or Cantabria or the Basque country, you know, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to leave the Basque country out of that equation for a moment. But like Asturias, you know, if you ask them, they've been drinking cider and making cider for thousands of years. Um, you know, the Basque, if you ask an Asturian, they'll tell you, oh, the Basque, <laughs> they came around in the 80s. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. But, um, you know, and then you have like the French, um, the French tradition of making cider in, in, you know, in Northern France, Normandy and Brittany, they've been making it for a long time. Um, West England, you know, UK cider, same. It's been around for thousands of years. It is like an original historical drink for many countries in the world. So what, what happened uh, here um, in the United States that suddenly, you know, we suddenly we really do have this you know, kind of booming cider industry that's gotten pretty, you know, so there are several brands that I would consider like mainstream now, but when did that happen? When did, when and where did cider uh, in the United States kind of, you know, get its foothold and take off? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I, I would say, you know, like in the, in the early, as far as I know, in the early nineties, um, you know, there may have been like, a handful, literally a handful, maybe like, uh, I don't know, like 10 producers of cider in like, in, in that were known in the country. Um, specifically like in New York, maybe like a handful. Um, and over the course of, let's say early nineties up until what are we 2020, like in, the, in those past, like even 20 years, cause the first time I encountered cider was in 2011. So even like in that first 20 years, like it, you know, today we're up to like probably thousands of cider makers across country. Wow. You know, in, in New York state, we're like hundred plus, like a hundred, about a hundred from New York Cider Association um, figure is like 125 or so plus. Um, so that's pretty, that's a pretty fast growth. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and, and to me, I think it, it coincided with, you know, the interest of people, you know, um, um, having more interest in where, where food comes from, you know, having more interest in returning to the land and having more interest of, you know, um, farming, having more interest in, you know, agriculture in general, um, people, you know, definitely in the last, like, and I want to say most of those numbers came in the last 10 years where people, you know, have more interest in leaving the city, Yeah, you know, and diving back into these, into these like old, old timey things, AKA farming, <laughs> right, <laughs> AKA making right. food, AKA making wine, AKA making cider. Um, you know, so it basically kind of coincided and, you know, people definitely, you know, with this trend also going to the farmer's market, like where, what do you discover at the farmer's market? You discover produce, you discover apples in the fall, you discover, Oh, here, this apple grower, here's some cider that they make, you know? Um, so I feel like the return, of people just like going, you know, being interested in, in, in farming and agriculture. That's how it happened, basically. There, yeah, I mean, there's so much coming to my head right now. So there's also that growing interest in heirloom varieties and maybe like mm -hmm. discovering 
new varieties you haven't seen before, just even, you know, just apples at your supermarket and not your farmer's market, but also in sight with cider. I mean, I actually just saw at my farmer's market on Sunday because we actually have, um, we have a, um, a, a farm stand that long time farming family in Rockland County now makes cider and, um, they have their single varietal, like single variety yeah. cider. Then they have ones where they blend different ones. I mean, like it goes, you know, ancient, like older varieties, heirloom <laughs> apples. Right. You know. Well, yeah. So exactly. People, you know, they, they're like, oh, cider is fantastic. You know, oh, let's, you know, move out of the city, you know, buy an orchard or source apples and start making cider. But then you're like, but wait, I need apples, you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. what kind of apples make cider? You know, what, what, how do, how do we start? Where do we, you know, get the products to make the, right. the cider? Um, you know, there are many different ways to make cider. You can make cider from, well, there's only one way you take apples, you get the juice, you crush them and you ferment the juice. That's the only way to make cider. Um, but you need, you know, we have culinary apples that we all know from the supermarket. You know, they're the the the, the big boys, the commercial, you know, um, apples that over the years kind of like became the favorites and the ones that were easy, you know, picture perfect. People want to eat them. People want to, you know, cook with them. So these are culinary, culinary apples. Um, you know, we have the Jonah Gold, we have the Fuji, you know, Macintosh. Um, those ciders, you know, we all know them. We all eat them. They're they're sweet. They're crunchy. You know, nice acidity. Um, they will make you know a certain style of cider. But when you're talking about these heirloom ciders, so if you if you're digging in and looking at different traditions of cider making in the world, um, you're going for a different style of apple. You want an apple that has a lot more complex um, flavors to them or like tannins, a lot more tannins, like apples can have tannins. You ever, I remember as a kid growing up, um, we'd have, we'd buy these little tiny crab apples or pick them off the trees, honestly in Queens. Like they grew, I don't know, there was a neighbor who had like these little crab apples growing on a tree in Queens. And I remember like trying to eat them and they were so sour and so bitter and so tart. But as a kid, I loved it. We used to throw them at each other. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's the best yeah. toy. Yes. You yeah. know, traditionally those those were called the spitters because you'd take a bite yes. and spitter them spit them out, you know. Um, but that 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 bitterness, that astringency, that you know, tartness, that's acid and tannins. And that makes for the perfect, the most perfect cider apple because when you ferment that, it will add to really interesting, like, you know, complex flavors and notes and structure to your cider. I'm sorry, that that also lends it to being um, a beverage that works really well with food. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, you're, you're, you're looking for these more um, complex notes, uh, apples to make these complex ciders that work well with food. Um, but, you know, you have to look like, where, where do you get these apples? Well, you have to, you know, you have to grow them. <laughs> and how because that's not, not easy, sold right? in the supermarket it, it's not easy so I, I guess what's happening now with this growth of people wanting to make more complex ciders you know over the past 10 20 years you know certain growers who are you know known for growing apples started growing cider apples and started selling them off to you know I guess you know if you ask them younger folk who are coming around to make cider that aren't growing their own their own trees um and, you know, they're discovering over these, you know, 20 years what apples, what site, what heirloom apple varietals can survive, 
you know, in, in the climates that we have here, you know? Um, and that's, that's a process, you know, you, 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 you plant a tree, it takes, you know, five to seven years until you know what's happening with that tree and what kind of fruit it's giving you. Right. So this is a very slow, it's, it's a very young industry still. And it's a very slow process to really know and see like what apples, you know, why are those apples not around? You know, are we able to grow um, English style bittersweet apples here? Are we able to like grow Spanish style sharp apples here? You know, um, that's that that's the big question. That's what the cider makers are trying to find out now, you know. Um, it, and it's really interesting. It's really fascinating to me that, you know, there's just so many different types of apples and styles of cider today, and they all work really well with food. So I want to I want to talk about the fermentation a little bit more mm -hmm. because another thing all these ancient foods have in common is is some sort of fermentation, right? Like that whole I, I forget who it was who said that you know cheese is the controlled spoilage of milk, and you know all of these the, all of these foods would just go bad and rot and go away, and you know we couldn't afford that. Um, we shouldn't ever. <laughs> do that right, so there is that right. whole like controlling food waste element here but for you know a long time ago before refrigeration it was like a right. really good way to be able to preserve things or you know have another way to use them and um and this fermentation process these is it yeast is that what it is that's yeah what is it yeah. that is the fermenting agent and where where is that coming from is is wild yeast you know, like, is that still the main thing or are people buying commercially produced yeasts? Or I don't know how to describe that. All right. I mean, yeah. I mean, so making cider, yeah, fermentation, you, you definitely, you know, do have to control your fermentation to some point, to, to some extent, because, you know, you're, you're protecting your product because, you know, you can have things, things can go wrong. Things, things can go wrong in fermentation. Um, you can also, you know, have the, um, ha create an environment for things to, you know, do their thing on their own and be wild, but you're still keeping an eye on it. Um, you can ferment ciders. So basically what happens just like with, with, with wine, um, the sugars in the fruit are eaten by the yeast. There needs to be yeast and that is con converted into alcohol, right? Um, so if you're making cider, you know, you're watching the fruit grow on the trees, you're taking, you know, measurements throughout, you know, the grow the growing period, and you're you're trying to, you know, wait until see there's a certain amount of sugars in that apple, and it's a good time to harvest it, because you need a certain amount of sugars in your apples to be able to make cider, to ferment it, because the yeast needs to eat something, right? Um, you know, which is the same in grapes, but I, I feel like, you know, this is a little bit, it, it's a bigger fruit. It's a different fruit. <laughs> um, it's a really interesting process. Um, and when, you know, there are a couple ways to do it. Once again, you, you should equate this to exactly like winemaking. Um, cause I feel like the cider community, especially, especially the American cider community, they're looking a lot to the ways of people are making wine in the world. Um, basically you can add yeast um, to like a, a white wine yeast or a champagne yeast, um, to the juice and help that along and have very, like a controlled fermentation, um, a very clean fermentation. Um, if you, if you're, you know, you know what you're doing, <laughs> um, or you can also create a wild, a wild fermented cider and, um, a wild fermented cider, you know, there's, there's yeast on the, on the fruit itself. 
And then there's the whole conversation about yeast, you know, the ambient yeast in, in, in the, the, the fermentation room or in the cidery. Um, and that those are the two things that you would use to create like a wild style of cider. Um, and that's being done. That's definitely being done. Um, you know, at South Hill Cider, we, we have a wild fermentation um, cider. We have actually a couple. I think we have a couple this year, but we definitely have one that we we do. We, um, there's also another aspect that go hand in hand with wild fermentation is um, foraging wild apples. Um, that's also that's also a really exciting, exciting um, um, thing that's happening across the country. Um, a lot in the New York, in New York state, you know, people are like, we, there are old trees that have been here for hundreds of years from old homesteads. Um, and they have survived all these years, um, on their own. And, um, most part, we don't know probably what that apple is. Um, but that apple is probably a spitter with like tannins and acid, and it's the perfect cider apple. So, you know, each cider maker kind of has their own, their certain like, stash of where their wild apples are growing <laughs> it uh -huh. could be in their neighbor it could be in their neighbor's yard it could be in a national forest you know um you know there's an apple tree i, I live in trumansburg right side of outside of ithaca and there's some apple trees right around the corner my you know my neighbor's yard and he's like oh these would be great cider apples and i you know stop by and i'm like yep those would be great cider wow. apples and it's like you want them <laughs> and I'm, like, well, I'm not exactly making cider right now but now he's making cider from it so I'm like well i'll do it you know i mean wow. that's really that's really you know the way it happens and well, um well how many apples does it take to make like i don't know a six pack of cider cans or a bottle a lot, of cider a lot okay. a lot you know honestly i don't i don't really know that exact number but a lot a lot of apples mm -hmm. right it definitely right. it's a lot of apples yes um less apples than grapes to make a bottle of wine but huh. <laughs> a lot of apples and can yeah. you make can you make cider with like stored apples or do you have to like pick them and make it um ideally you want to um you know Pick the most varieties you want to pick them, crush them, use the juice, right? Because um, they're at their prime. There are some sturdy varieties that that um, definitely can be stored. Um, and, you know, some people pick apples when they're maybe not exactly where the sugars need to be. And the apples, you know, they're, they're very sturdy and they can be stored in the right conditions. Um, you might want to store them to kind of like sweat them to kind of like, you know, grow those sugars a little and press them at a later time, but within that season of pressing. Um, and some people also, there are cider makers that, you know, they will store the apples, you know, for as long as they can go and, you know, press them later in the year. Um, not ideal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I'm now going to drive around with my eye, like, kind of looking out for apple trees. Oh yeah. <laughs> and see if I can find one of these like, you know, these. Now that rare... you know, Jessica, yes. you will find apples everywhere. <laughs> That's, That's right. the thing. Like I, I I was never aware of that before working in cider. And now I see it everywhere. And not only Amazing. do I see apples everywhere, I see other fruit everywhere. <laughs> it's wild. I'm like, what is that? What is that berry? What is that? I love and, that. You know, can I what I can I make that. with that? That's just like leaving the city. You know, I feel like such yeah. a city girl. And like every week I learn something new. Um, I'm just completely in awe of farmers and, you know, cider makers and people who have to like grow things 
you know, for me to eat and drink and I'm completely in awe <laughs> leaving well, the city and, and just walking around, you know, nature. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, I think that that's a perfect um, segue into the next part of our interview, which is going to be talking about cider profiles and cheese pairings. And uh, we're going to just take a break uh, to hear from one of our great sponsors. And um, I'll pick this up where we left off with Rachel Fryer. When we say Heritage Radio Network is listener-supported radio, we mean we can't make the episode you're listening to right now without your donations. Keep this show on the air and help us reach our 2022 fundraising goals before December 31st by donating to HRN today at heritageradionetwork.org donate. Every dollar amount helps fund this and over 30 other HRN podcasts about food. As our gift to you, when you donate $90 before the end of the year, you'll receive a limited edition shirt designed exclusively for HRN listeners by graphic artist Chema Scandal. See Chema's shirt and other amazing gifts for donors and make a tax-deductible donation today at heritageradionetwork.org donate. Help us reach our year-end goals by giving any amount, either as a one-time gift or as a monthly sustaining contribution. All donors become HRN members and get first notice of special events and food radio listener insider news updates. So go to heritageradionetwork.org donate today to support a more equitable, sustainable, and delicious world and help us reach our 2022 fundraising goals. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conté is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. And we're back cutting the curd on Heritage Radio Network. Today, my guest is Rachel Fryer, certified cheese professional and certified cider professional, currently 
working at South Hill Cider in Ithaca, New York, where she's a food program and events coordinator. So I'm so excited for this part. I want to talk about, <laughs> because we talked about your love of cheese and, um, and your road to cider. And um, you uh, have worked as a chef and in kitchens in cheese-centric kind of roles, right? Where you're developing right. food and beverage programs. So what are kind of like your, um, you know, like your, your rules of thumb or kind of like your, your own personal guidelines when you're thinking about pairings? That's a great question. Um, it's funny because I, you know, when I teach pairing classes, I always go through, you know, the basic guidelines. I like, you know, you know, co contrast and, you know, like and like and, you know, all those wonderful guidelines. And then I'm like, then forget about it. <laughs> let's start from scratch and let's taste the cheese, you know. Okay. Um, to me, to me, um, you know, what guides me is, is, is really, you know, honestly, tasting, tasting the product, um, tasting the cheese, tasting the cider. And I just kind of, you know, it, it, it's like spice boxes to me. You know, I, I think I've described this before, um, with, um, you know, the work, what, what enticed me in cheese when I just started working in cheese was that it was like creating an entire, like new, um, cupboard of spices and flavor profiles to cook food with. Um, or to pair things with, or to, you know, there's like all these different families, all the diff different styles and all these different like flavor, flavor compounds and flavors that were so exciting to me. Um, you know, discovering wine and, and like how wine works so well with, you know, certain, certain compounds in, in cheeses and works, you know, against certain compounds and cheeses, you know, learning about tannins, learning about what works well with, you know, food, um, you know, sweet and, 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 and savory and, you know, just, just diving in was, was the exciting part of working, you know, working in cheese and beverage for me. And I always want to guide people, you know, when they're pairing, go on that journey, <laughs> right? Like go there, like, you know, think about when you're taking a bite of something, what does that remind you of, you know, what would you, what would, what do you want with that? Well, you know, like really just like, kind of like dive in and go, go on that journey. And I feel like that's what kind of caught me with um, like really trying to put together like, you know, food programs and beverage programs and and like, you know, just just making it a very exciting moment for someone when they sit down and eat and drink, you know. So what would be uh, an example or two of of pairings that have kind of knocked your socks off? And it doesn't have to be like a specific one. Maybe it's just like a style or a type and a type or something. Or... Right. Well, in, in general in food, um, well, I remember, honestly, when I started working in cheese at Murray's Cheese Bar, um, I was uh, hired as a cheesemonger for the opening staff back then. And Tia Keenan was my mentor. Um, and, you know, she's well known for all of her, you know, out there pairings and crazy pairings. And I was just really young, young cheesemonger who was really thirsty to learn about cheese. And I remember her, you know, just she had all these uh, different pairings and she's like, try it. And one of the, one of the pairings that she wanted me to try, like right off the bat, was just like a goat cheese and some kimchi. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> do I have to? <laughs> um, okay, I can do this. 
Um, you know, this is like straight up discovering cheese, like day one of me discovering, oh my God, all these flavor profiles in cheese. Like I remember tasting a brief fermier like an hour before that and being like crying. Why does this taste like broccoli and cheese? This is yes. so amazing. Yes. I, like, I could, it blew my mind, like blew my mind. And, um, you know, and then like an hour later, she's like, try the kimchi with the goat cheese. And I'm like, oh, okay. And it, it blew my mind. It was like, this is so deliciously amazing. And why not? It's food. At the end of the day, cheese is food, you know? Um, and I, I guess like, just like those, like, like umami pairings that really are unexpected, you know, developing after, afterwards, I developed, um, um, an omakase, which, um, after I left Mari's and we did like this um, Asian inspired cheese course dinner um, paired with sake, which wow. was one of, it was really, really fascinating to me. And, you know, creating like all these Asian profiles that worked really well with, with cheeses and like layering that with sake, which is really something you would not like reach for when you're drinking, you know, when you're eating cheese, um, that, that, you know, it, it was amazing amazing for me to go on that journey and then, you know, share that with people. So, um, so with cider, um, I, you know, I automatically, my brain goes cheddar. I, you know, um, but then again, cheddar has like a thousand different profiles. Yeah. <laughs> so, which um, cheddar, Jessica? Which no, cheddar? <laughs> um, but um, if I was going to, um, let's say, pick up a cider at South Hill and was looking for a cheese, what are what would be what would be a great cheese and cider pairing that you would recommend for like an afternoon of driving through Central New York? Well, so I guess this would be a good time to like also like describe the different styles of cider. That would be um, awesome. Yeah. So you know. When I, when I, you know, I've repeated this a couple of times, when you think about, you know, cider, the way it's being made today, there, there, there are a couple of different styles of producers. Um, some of the producers are making, you know, they're, they're going kind of like the, the beer route. They're making, you know, fermenting cider, adding flavors, you know, hops, berries, doing all these like crazy fun flavorings um, and putting them in cans. So there are ciders in cans that are like really just easy to like open and drink, um, you know, and then there's a style of cider maker that approaches cider more like wine. Uh -huh. um, and I would say that's the, that, that's the main style of cider maker um, here in the Finger Lakes, um, or at least in, you know, Ithaca in, in this area um, where they treat the cider um, exactly like wine. They bottle it and bottle, you know, we've all seen now, you know, cider has been around for a moment, you know, fine ciders and bottle when wine bottles. And like you said, single varietal ciders, um, you know, not just blended ciders. And these ciders are made exactly in the styles of wine. So you'll have a dry still cider without any carbonation, uh, that would, could potentially drink exactly like a Chardonnay. Um, you have like champagne style ciders that are made exactly like champagne would be made, um, you know, and they're hand disgorged and, you know, they are dry and have like the champagne bubbles. Um, you know, you have really a different array, like a wild ciders, you have like farmhouse style ciders that, you know, are a little bit more funky. Um, you have off dry ciders that have like, some sweetness in them. You have sweet ciders that are made like ice cider or like, 
aperitifs like pomo, which is like cider and, and like apple brandy. So there's really like this vast style of ciders out there in the world that are being made. Um, so for me, when I look at, you know, pairing, pairing cheeses to that, you know, style, all those styles of cider, I'm once again, I know things that work really well from the wine world because I, kn- I knew about Prosecco and champagne before I knew about champagne style cider. Do you know what I mean? Does that yep. make sense? I'm kind yep. of equating it, you know, like I'll definitely go, you know, I'll grab like a, a beautiful like Loire Valley goat cheese when I'm going to my dry still, you know, cider. Right, right. And is alcohol content a factor the way it is with wine as well? Um, definitely. So the, the good thing about cider, and maybe that's why I fell so in love with cider, is that the alcohol is is less than wine, but still made like wine. Okay. And um, drinks beautifully. You know, you're not drinking something that's like, you're like, where's the alcohol? <laughs> right. But I find myself being able to enjoy a lot more cider, um, especially alongside of food without being drunk. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, you know, to sit down for a beautiful meal and to be able to enjoy a lot of cider and, you know, feel you know, like I'm not like, oh my God, I just drank a bottle of wine and I'm, you know, a little tipsy. And yeah, that does happen to me. Um, you know, it's the, there is definitely lower alcohol. Um, so, you know, and what about something that's more friendly to pairing. Right. And you were talking about the tannins before too. Mm -hmm. Um, and how, so how does that play in with the food pairings with, with cider and those are, would that be the same the same kind of rules that you would apply with like a red wine. Um, do exactly. They... Okay. All right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, um, there are, once, once again, you said, you mentioned single varietal ciders um, and, you know, that's someone who really wants to like kind of learn about, about cider. Um, but you can try and like look up what style of apple that is. You know, like we make a champagne style cider at South Hill that's called, you know, it's a ball, it's Baldwin apple. Um, Baldwin is like, you know, it's a, it's an original New York state apple and it's, it's, it's tart. Um, so it makes for a beautiful dry champagne style cider and we make, it's a single varietal and it's made only from that, you know, that style apple. So, you know, you can look up that apple and say, oh, okay. Now I, you know, you know what I mean? Like really try to understand you know, why a cider maker would choose to do a single varietal cider. Um, There are some cider makers that are making single varietal ciders just to see what comes of it. Uh (laughs) You know, Uh it's kind of a geeky thing in the world of ciders, you know, it's just like, oh, wow, you made, you know, Eve Cidery made, made like a a single varietal freaking rouge, which is a a French cider apple. Oh my God, I have to try it because I have to see what that tastes like, you know? So, um, one of the things that we've seen also over the last few years, I guess with the popularity in, you know, rising in, um, in the market with cider is people washing cheese with different ciders. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What happens there? If I were to, if, when you're washing the surface of a cheese with cider, um, what, what kind of magic happens? Well, it's the same, it's kind of the same, you know, the same weight as washing it with beer or washing it with wine. Um, um, you know, people are washing, um, cause you know, cider is an alcoholic beverage and you want those, you know, you want that flavor profile to come out, but you also want the structure of the cider to, you know, 
to cultivate and like connect with, you know, the, the wash rind or the cheese, you know, and right. that kind of magic that happens. But you do want some kind of residual flavor. And I have to say, honestly, the ciders, like I, we just worked on um, a project with Lively Run Dairy and they, um, they didn't do a wash cheese, but they he did something really interesting for South Hill Cider for Cider Week. Basically took a wheel of um, a Gouda that he makes and soaked it earlier on in cider and then aged it. Um, you know, and we, you know, earlier on, obviously there was a lot more cider profile, profile, but the cider kind of dissipated over time. And I feel like actually with wash rinds, with my experience so far, the cider ones are a little bit more subdued, but it does work because the magic does happen. Um, but I definitely, I definitely get a lot more flavor when you wash it with beer, you know? Huh. That's interesting because I feel the other way around amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, who knows how much, you know, who knows like what's happening when they're washing it, how, you know, but, um, but yeah, like I've definitely picked up on, um, aromas and, um, which then lead to flavors with the cider wash cheeses that I haven't, and, and with like younger cheeses than I have with, um, with beer, but I love the idea of soaking. That yeah, it was really it was really interesting. And I was, when I was in Spain in uh, Asturias in the northern Spain, they had um, a cheese that I tried that had uh, was covered. You know, we've seen this in Italy with like wine grapes, like wine must, but it mm-hmm. was covered in apple pumice from from cider pressing. Um, and that was really really interesting. That was really good. You know, it was strong. It was it was really interesting. And, you know, I've been running around the finger legs talking to cheesemakers and just kind of like, make me a pumice cheese. <laughs> do you guys want any pumice? How do we do this? So it everyone's sounds like, yeah, sure. We got to figure it out. We that's can do the it. next thing. Like, yeah. There yeah, you go. I mean, yeah. everything you're saying really does sound like a lot of this is kind of like, um, you know, whether it's about what to pair with cider or like what the next cider concoction is or recipe is it's all based on trial and error and just kind of going listening like intuitive that like just get really into like your taste buds and just be like what is it I want right now like what is it I'm feeling what is it that I'm trying to achieve and then and then you find it like it just sounds like yeah it's kind of like like mindful <laughs> like mindful mindful cider um cidering I don't know. exactly <laughs> see you understand me jessica you get me you're you're, you're following my path here yes mindfulness of rachel's pairings uh you basically <laughs> yeah let the let the flavor profile take you somewhere no honestly that's why that's why i was so hooked with cider because when i discovered that ciders are being made in all these different styles, like wine. I'm like, holy moly, like th- th- this is this is so inspiring. And I need to know all these profiles because it was new to me. And so, I, you know, I, yeah. really, I encourage you, if you don't, aren't familiar with all these different styles of cider, go out and look for them and try them because, it, you know, they're so, it's new and it's inspiring. And, you know, it's good for your, your flavor, you know, cupboard, your spice box and... I don't know. To me, that's fun. You know, it's just pure fun. So, um, cider, your work in cider has led you across, across the pond. Um, 
It has. Which is always amazing. It's amazing that these wonderful industries provide opportunities to travel and to see how, you know, we're the new world, right? So we get to go over to, to, well, tech, we're not the new world, but you know, (laughs) we're, we're, we're doing cider and we're younger at it than, than um, over in France and in Spain. So when you are over there, are you seeing new um, younger voices um, kind of changing the game and disrupting it a little bit, or are they kind of sticking with what's new, you know, what's been tested and well, yeah. I mean, the the really amazing thing is that what's happening is, you know, Americans when they discover something, <laughs> you know, when they discover a new food or a new beverage, they go all out, you know, right, um, right, and kind of kind of make it their own, um, you know, hopefully without ruining it, you know, but um, really do make it their own. And you know, I was, I, as you mentioned, I did travel to. Northern Spain um, with the New York Cider Association and Angry Orchard and um, to in order to experience with with a group of cider makers and chefs and restaurateurs to experience what like a cider culture is. What what does that mean? And the connection was food, by the way, Um, you know, and how can we come back here and cultivate a cider culture and um, which is so fascinating um, you know, to see like that trip really blew my flavor profile mind because, you know, they, the a Spanish style cider um, is um, very like um, a lot of volatile compounds and very like acidic. It's almost like it, it's not it's like very like it's not sour and it's not, you know, people say, oh, that tastes like vinegar. It's absolutely not vinegar, but it is a very like kind of profile of like tart and sour, a um, little bit of a little bit of you know f- funky notes when you smell it, and you know there's the whole throwing of cider where you have to like pour it really long to aerate it, and you know that has a reason, and the the way that cider works with food, it's just so beautiful, and and that's how it's strength as well. You know you don't sit down and pour a whole glass of cidra, you know, in that style. You 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 drink small sips of it. You know, you pour, you aerate a little gulp, you drink it, and then you enjoy your food. And the way that works is so beautiful. And, you know, there's a reason for that. Um, that goes back to, you know, we, we touched upon it for a moment, but like regional things that grow together, terroir, um, it is really, really fascinating, you know, that that's the style of cider they have there. And that's the type of food that they enjoy in Northern Spain really just really works beautifully with that style of cider. Incredible. You know, and it kind of goes Cabralas back. Blue cheese, Jessica. Yes. Cabralas blue cheese. Spicy. If you would have told me before 2018 on that trip that Cabralas blue cheese would taste good with that style of cider, I would be like, no way. Absolutely delicious together. Wow. Wow. It's like another another uh, goat cheese and kimchi pairing moment. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, it's right? just like, that's what it is. Like, just expand your mind. Like, you know, yeah. it's just, it's so interesting to me. And, um, yeah, I don't even remember what the question was, Jessica. I'm sorry, well, but... no, but no, no, no. I was, I was um, asking just about like whether you, you know, when you're abroad, if you've seen the like oh, kind yeah. of younger disruptors or like people trying new things or or, um, or are they just continuing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my experience in, in, in Spain, um, cider land, basically, um, they, you know, they've been making supposedly thousands of years of sidra. Um, and, um, they, you know, you can buy a bottle of sidra for like a euro 90, right? Uh-huh. It's not like that, the fancy cider that we're putting in, 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 you know, fancy bottles and making champagne style ciders and selling it for 15, $18. Um, and, you know, for them, it's, 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 yeah, it's a very old, old, you know, community. It's a very old, you know, tradition. And a lot of the young, young folks, you know, they're like, why, why would I make cider? Like, why? There's like, absolutely no money in it. Yes, I can drink it, but I can drink other things. I can drink craft beers. Like, you know, they have really no interest. And we did kind of meet like a younger generation of cider makers that were actually in some way looking towards what the Americans are doing with the cider because, you know, they're like, oh, wait, we can do all these things with, with cider and we don't just have to do this one style. And I feel like, you know, a lot of, you know, that's happening in, you know, I hear like bits and parts of that in, in UK, in the UK cider world as well. And they're kind of like, oh, well, the Americans are doing like, you know, that, maybe we can do that as well. And, you know, obviously it's with collaborations. There are a lot of collaborations happening with, you know, um, English cider makers, with American cider makers, and they're kind of sharing knowledge. Like, you know, the Americans are getting like the traditional way of doing things and then they're improvising. And, you know, maybe the traditional cider makers there, the younger generation are latching on to the newer ways of making cider. And yeah, I, every time I go back, I like, I encounter like something new and interesting. I'm like, oh, Look at all these ice ciders happening in Spain now, you know, and I'm not saying that's exactly like we influenced that, but there is a little, yeah, there's a little disruption happening. And, you know, a couple of people who I have spoken to in the industry, they're like, yeah, you know, we really admire like CiderCon and the way you guys are doing things. And yeah, and it's really, really interesting. You know, it's. I love it. I love it. It's amazing. We're very lucky. We are lucky. We are lucky to be working in in such great communities and dynamic communities. And um, yeah, and, 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 you know, this community introduced me to you. And now (laughs) the whole cutting the herd, the whole cutting the herd audience has now been introduced to Rachel Fryer. Oh, yeah. um, Hey, guys. And, uh, and I'm just so I'm just so happy you were able to take some time to talk with us today. And your enthusiasm is totally infectious. And I'm so excited to, to explore the world of cider a little bit more than I have. I'm in New York state. I, the, this is my playground. Do it. So, yes. So thank you so much for joining us today. I really thank appreciate you. it. And, uh, for all of you out there listening, thank you for joining us for another episode of cutting the curd. Be sure to visit us on Instagram and visit the heritage radio network website and check out all the great uh, podcasts, some of which um, also talk about beer and cider and all sorts of food. And I will see you back here next time. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.